Healthcare Now, paid for by Integrated Physician Network. This program is recorded to air at this time. Healthcare premiums through the roof. So much to think about when it comes to health care. Who do you talk to? Where do you go next? Well, we've got your answer to navigating the healthcare world. Welcome to Healthcare Now with hosts Mark Chayette and Larry Jones. And now let's head into the Healthcare Now studios. Welcome to Healthcare Now and happy Saturday. Thanks for uh, joining us. I'm here with Larry Jones. How are you doing today, Larry? Good afternoon, Dr. Mark. Okay, great. Well, we're going to get started. Our show is all about building an educated healthcare consumer base, right? We want to yep. talk about the yep. things that are on the news and some of the things make less sense than others. But we've we're got talk a lot all about to it. talk about today. <laughs> I tell you, you know, it, the the ball keeps moving very rapidly. It's incredible. And uh, yeah, I think we'll jump right on uh, the, the full approval of Pfizer. Yeah, yeah. So as uh, of uh, this past week. Yep, this past week yeah, they uh, yeah. came out and approved it. I want to point out that this is the full approval of the original emergency approval, Correct. which was for a 16-year-old and up. And so we can only assume that yep. the younger ones are going to follow. Yep. But I think, you know, right now they're still talking about when yep. the five-year-olds yep. are going to be getting some yeah, type of approval. You make a good point, Dr. Mark, because, as you know, the emergency use is for 12 and up right now. Right. But the full approval was only approved down to 16 years of age. Yep. So that original so, age group. So is there a message there that puts that 12 to 15 year old in limbo, Dr. Mark? No. Well, I think the the message, it shouldn't be. I think it's just yeah. the regular bureaucracy of, you know, trying to get more data. Yeah. Um, it was never intended to take it down to the 12 year old because they were literally, if you remember when the request was first put forward, 12 mm-hmm. year olds weren't getting the shot. Right. Right. So right. So the oh, request right. was based right. on that first thing. So it was 16 so I, and yeah. up. I mean, I think yeah. it's, you know, legal documentation of, you know, what they're going to do. So I wouldn't read anything into it, yeah. frankly. Well, and, and I, I don't think we do, but who knows yeah. whether parents for do sure. or not. For sure. You know, they're very protective over their kids. Right. Right. But, right. you know, one of one things that I think is this full approval. Now it's going to spur more companies. Yes. Universities and even local governments to make vaccinations That's already mandatory. Already happening. It's already, already happening. happening. And you know what else is already happening? What? Protests. Of course. Yes, of course. There are CEOs all over the country that are getting protests outside. But but, you know, the the amount of dollars and lives that are being lost on unvaccinated folks. Yeah. Well, let me let me make a statement to that. First of all, the Pentagon immediately announced after Pfizer was fully endorsed Mm -hmm. that it will press ahead with plans to require members of the military to get the vaccine. Yes. yes. And And we knew that was going to happen. Well, they had stated that openly even prior, and they were also big time in support of making that move. Yeah. And hopefully this is going to give those fencers, the people sitting on the fence, whether, and they're saying that 60% of the people that are sitting on the fence are saying that, well, I would consider it. And I'm hoping that full approval pushes them over the edge. Right, right. No, I think it's important. I think that was something that people legitimately felt uncomfortable with and uh, the whole idea that things were rushed through. So, yeah, that should that should push things forward a bit. And and I'm I mean, I I have to expect that these businesses, it it only makes sense for them to to move forward with this this mandate. Right. And I think there's going to be a lot of pushback again, because it is going to be a mandate somewhere. Of course. And Um, everybody has an issue with vaccines. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, I think uh, when you look at where Pfizer has been in the U.S., Pfizer has administered over 200 million doses 
and there have been hundreds of millions more administered worldwide since December right. of last year. a lot year. of information. So they've got the data. Sure, sure. Yeah. And I think, I think that's where the confidence level needs to build with yeah. people that are sitting on the fence. Yeah, and I think you're right. The, yeah. the people that are close, this could get them near, near the, uh, the vaccination line. I still think you've got a lot of naysayers out there. Um, you know, I drove by uh, just on South mm-hmm. Street yesterday, and I, okay. I don't even know what building these folks were in front of, but they had some very well printed out signs. Protests. And, and they're yeah. talking about how much mm-hmm. vaccines have killed and how yeah. much they cost. Yeah. But you I've know what they're talking that. about, though? Yeah. They're not talking about this vaccine. They're talking about vaccines in general in, general in the right. history That's of right. vaccines. That's right. And we can't get into that yeah. argument. We're in a pandemic. Mm-hmm. We're losing lives and losing money every day. Exactly. That, that well, we're going to talk about that in a minute. Yeah, but, yeah. But we're going to talk about that exactly what you're saying, Doctor mm-hmm. Mark. But let me mention one thing: is you know we mentioned earlier that Doctor Janet Woodcock is the acting FDA commissioner, right? And she made this statement, and I thought it's very appropriate. The public can be very confident that this vaccine meets the high standards for safety, effectiveness, and manufacturing quality the FDA requires on an approved product. Right. And that's, I mean, that's what people were looking for yeah. in the beginning, yeah. right? Absolutely. And we should yeah. mention that Moderna is likely to be right th- the next step. Any well, they have now. applied for yeah, full approval, for, and they're probably exactly. right. By, in yeah. fact, I had heard that possibly by October. Yep. And that's yep. just around the corner. Absolutely. You know. Absolutely. Now, where do we stand on the boosters? Uh, good question. Uh, COVID-19 booster shots for Pfizer and Moderna will be available starting the week of September 20th, right. the White House announced. Right. And so they're, they're approving this to a specific group of people. Mm-hmm. The CDC put out, is it six or seven criteria if yes. you meet one of these? Yep. And they're all based on the idea of immunosuppression. Now. Right. Just so we kind of well, go well, over the reason behind there. that. There's two pieces. They put out the part about if you're immunodepressed or have cancer, you're on chemo, then you're eligible now. The one that is coming out September 20th, if you are eight months from your second shot, you will be available. You will be eligible to get the booster. Right, right. But the the one yeah. that that's available right now, you can go into your local. CVS, Walgreens, same Publix. shot, yeah, same yeah, shot, yeah, yeah. and so that's for folks that that meet the criteria, one of these immunosuppression yeah. criteria. And what makes sense about that is the way a vaccine works: you get the vaccine, and then your immune system builds the antibodies. Right. So if you are immunosuppressed, you may not have built those antibodies, and you may require more. But for the boosters on the general public, you're really looking at not needing that. 28 days later. So the 28 right. days later is really focused on giving sort of a super dose to try to get people's immune system right. to make the right response. Right. Whereas we're looking at folks, they've, they've sort of randomly picked eight months as yeah. being the date of well, when that, you want to get your regular the, booster. Uh, uh, effectiveness of the vaccine well, we don't know. goes down. Well, well, they're saying it goes know, down I, to about 50%. I know, but, but, but they. Yeah. Yeah, and so they, we're back yeah, to that. So yeah. the, rea- the reality is... is I, I was one of the first group that got vaccinated here in, in the U.S., yep, right? Yep. And we're Actually, ju- you got it before I did. Yep. And when we're, were just you vaccinated? Hit, uh, I think my second vaccine was in the beginning of January. Let's see, mine was February yeah. 5th, which yeah. is still pretty early. Yeah, so we're just at yeah. eight months. That's, October and, 5th, I'll be yeah, eight months. Right, and, yeah. and my point being, nobody's. Ch- I would like to know what my antibody level is. Exactly. And not because yeah. I'm afraid to take another booster. It's right. just I'd like right. the timing to cover it correctly. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's that's something... That's a piece of yep. science that 
could have been evaluated more carefully. I think you're right. And then we're also getting data from other countries, but those other countries aren't using the same vaccines necessarily. So I just want, you know, if our listeners are reading some of that stuff, look into the particular vaccine. And they are saying a couple of things. They're saying you should go ahead and stick with the vaccine that you received previously. Right, right. Not really a lot of science behind that, but the thought is... And I think I've heard some people that have had Pfizer and Moderna, or even J&J. They have, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, Yeah. because I I don't know that I would mix the non-mRNA or not, but but Pfizer and Moderna are are very similar technologies. Mm -hmm. but 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 I think, Dr. Mark, the message for our listeners is... If you're uh, if you have a problem and you've got an immune immunodeficiency issue, uh, you can go ahead and get the booster now. Right. Because you're probably not well covered. That's right. As it is. You're but probably the public, not well covered. Effective September 20th will be eligible on an eight month out basis. Right. For their boosters. Right. And so that that'll that'll yep. be uh, again, we're we have all these different fronts that we're sort of yep. fighting. Yep. We want people to get their first vaccine first, right. and now we're already talking about boosters. But I, w- I want to talk about some of the financial losses yes. that we've seen. I was so, just going there. Yeah, so yeah. just based on, we, we talked about this in the last couple of weeks, the vast, vast, vast majority of patients that are being admitted to the hospital are unvaccinated. Actually, it's 98%. Yeah, well, I think, you know, depends on where you are. Report. Yeah, 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 this yeah. report yeah. it was, yeah. I think that's that's certainly on the high side, I think. In Central Florida, they're looking at about ninety-five percent. Okay, but when okay. you start looking at those yep. with serious disease yep. that end out on a ventilator, yep. yeah, I would buy that ninety-eight yep. percent yep. number for sure. Uh-huh. And then of those that are vaccinated, they fall typically into that mm-hmm. that immunosuppressed group. Yeah. Well, Health System Tracker mm-hmm. did a report, and they took in all states in the District of Columbia, and I think this is going to be pretty staggering. But yeah. in the sixty-day period of June and July of this year. Our U.S. healthcare system spent $2.3 billion on unvaccinated COVID hospitalizations. In 60 in days, 60 2.3 billion. Days, Dr. Mark. So if these folks had received their vaccine, it's safe to say that a huge amount, if not all of that money, would have been saved. Well, and that's not even talking about lives lost. That's right. We're not talking about the, right. the economics of people being that's out right. of work. That's just well, the that's raw just cost admissions. of that health care. And yep. those admissions, on average, with of that $2.3 billion, were just under $25,000 in admission. Mm-hmm. But those numbers, you're right, do not take into consideration the home care and all right. the stuff that was done to pre- re- prevent heavy symptoms right. as well. Yep. But if you take that $2.3 billion and you amortize it out, that's over $15 billion of unnecessary spending in this country if people had been vaccinated, yep. Dr. Martin. Yep. And I can tell you that number is only going to go up. Oh, of course. Of course. Yep. Yep. And, I mean, we're looking at at ICU admissions, people being placed on ECMO, yep. um, you know, the monoclonal antibodies. And, I mean, these are very, very costly, costly types of treatments. Yep. And the numbers that we're, we're seeing, again, are, are just ridiculous. Yep. So. I know, I know we're sort of preaching, and, and, and folks that are just not going to get this vaccine are going to say, I, you know, I don't care about the money. Right. Spend it. But you know what? Right. It's your money. That's right. Because a, a Eventually, large, a it's going to impact your patients. premium sure. and your out-of-pocket cost. And, and it, it, yep. it affects your taxes. Exactly. I mean, so it all comes yeah. back. It, it well, really is yeah, everybody's business. Let's talk business. about that for just mm-hmm. a minute, Dr. Mark. I'm yep. glad you mentioned that because I know we're running low on our segment here. But think about Medicare, Medicaid, and the 
ACA program, mm-hmm. the Affordable Care Act program. Right. Those are all federally tax-paid programs yes, tax, tax sponsored supported. by yep. tax dollars. Right. Now, if you're adding $15 billion in cost to my to my tax base, right. I'm not real happy about no. that. Or, or yeah. worse yet, you're not spending the money wisely right. somewhere. Yeah. I mean, there are so many illnesses out there that we don't have an answer for. That's right. And we have an answer for COVID. That's a great way to you know, put it, Dr. Mark. And, and to sit here and, and continue to, yeah. to dictate. You can tell you're the physician here because that's a great way to come back at that. Well, it, it, <laughs> the, I tell you, it's been going on so long. I talked to friends and I've had the opportunity to be that last person they talk to mm-hmm. and then they make a decision. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's usually gone pretty well. But yeah. now, I, I don't know, I'm, I'm starting to get worn out with the questions. I know. Because basically what people tell me is, you know what, Dr. Mark, I've done the research. And my answer is, yep. you haven't done the research. You've read. Yep. Okay, there's a difference between... Dr. Ajay last week? Yep. We had that very conversation yep. with him. Yep. Right, right, right. So He was very passionate about absolutely. getting the shots. Absolutely. And, yep. and I think that's that's the message is our listeners can go out there and they can get information, and they should. Yep. But start to look at where the information comes from. Mm-hmm. Right. and Because it's so easy to just bad information. Stuff. Oh, it's, yeah. there's... Way more bad information than there's truth out there. And, and you know, the other there. thing, and, and kind of changing the subject a little bit, hopefully this full approval of Pfizer, and I realize it's only down to 16, but hopefully that's going to open the door for emergency use down to age five. I would what do so. you think about no, that? No, I Mark? think I, that's the next step, without okay. a doubt. Yep. And we're out of time, but yep. but we do need to talk about yep. uh, some, some of the things sure. that we've seen in our school systems. Absolutely. We'll be right back. Integrated Independent Physicians Network, preserving and protecting the independent practice of medicine since 2015. Join the movement with us, ipnetworkflorida.com. Mark Chayot, MD, practicing pediatric surgeon since 1997, working with Central Florida's premier hospital systems and outpatient surgery centers, providing unparalleled patient care and leveraging the latest in medical, technology, and education, accepting all major insurance. 407-228-4774 or visit orlandopediatricsurgery.com. The Integrated Independent Physicians Network, preserving and protecting the independent practice of medicine since 2015. Join the movement with us, ipnetworkflorida.com. Mark Chayot, MD, practicing pediatric surgeon since 1997, working with Central Florida's premier hospital systems and outpatient surgery centers, providing unparalleled patient care and leveraging the latest in medical, technology, and education, accepting all major insurance. 407-228-4774 or visit orlandopediatricsurgery.com. Welcome to Healthcare Now. Welcome back to Healthcare Now. Dr. Mark, we've got a couple of special guests with us this afternoon. Dr. Adam Silverman, who's the Chief Financial Officer. But medical Officer. Chief Medical Officer. We like to have we like Did to I say financial? You did say oh, financial. You can he, tell I've been thinking money today. I'm glad. <laughs> no, please don't. Please don't, you know, confuse me with that. <laughs> Chief, Chief Medical Officer and Bill Lovelace, Vice President of a company called Syllable. 
And uh, welcome to the show, Dr. Silverman and Bill. We are happy to have you on our show today. But let's talk about your company, Syllable, and what you do in the artificial intelligence AI space. Bill, tell okay. us a little bit about the company. Yeah, Larry, well, thank, mm-hmm. thank you for having us. We're, we look forward to sharing more about how we approach solving problems in healthcare and leveraging AI and digital tools to do that. So we're, we're a company of about 50 employees focused on uh, intelligent automation and processes and tools to assist patients through their healthcare journey and to also make sure that they get from A to B uh, as quickly as possible, leveraging uh, healthcare, artificial intelligence, AI tools, and digital tools to make that uh, process happen. Great, great. That's a that's a good intro. I mean, I think that we're going to talk about things that are over most of our heads. And uh, I want to bring in uh, a question for Dr. Silverman. And he did he did say coming in to, that we could refer to him as Adam. So Adam, as the chief medical officer, what's what's your first? What's your role in the company? And secondly, like how did you get involved in the very beginning? Because this takes you away from medicine as we know it, you and I, and yeah. into something very different. Yeah. First of all, thanks again for, for inviting us on. We both really appreciate it. Um, it's a great question, Dr. Mark, um, because I spent 30 years on the provider side of healthcare. I sort of uh, divide my, my career into three tranches. I spent 10 years in private practice. I'm a general internist by training. I took a detour into academic medicine for 10 years, where I did a lot of, uh, a lot of teaching of both medical students and residents. And then I would say my last 10 years would be what I call as a uh, physician executive um, working um, at a large health system in Hartford, Connecticut, where I served as chief population health officer and did a lot of work around value-based health care, um, primary care innovation, and digital transformation. And quite candidly, I got somewhat frustrated by both my um, clinical colleagues and my administrative colleagues um, in their resistance to sort of change the model um, and really deliver a better product um, for a lower cost. So I'm a firm believer that um, the quality of healthcare in this country is not what it could be given uh, the amount of money that we actually pay for it. And I've spent a good part of my career trying to develop better processes that reduce the cost and improve outcomes. You know, and Adam, we can stop tired. right there because uh, based yep. on what you just said, you don't want to move to Florida, do you? <laughs> 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 yeah, you're, not, I tell you, you're not permanently. Yeah, you're 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 actually uh, bringing up things that we get to talk about every, every week, every day, uh, and the yeah. and the, the organization that Larry and I care. brought together yeah. is value based <laughs> care, and and this show is all about how ridiculous it is that we spend the amount of money that we do on healthcare. So, wow, yeah. gr- great to meet you once again, <laughs> once again. So, we should uh, probably I don't I don't know who takes wants to take the uh, definition of AI and throw it out there. Yeah. Well, I yeah, can, so I can we, do it. Um, yeah. So um, to me, artificial intelligence is a fancy way of, of saying um, uh, computers automating work that we do. Um, and, and not going into a uh, computer science definition, I think of artificial intelligence as um, using a computer to automate something um, that a human being does today. Um, and it gives the computer the opportunity to learn from the mistakes that it makes um, so that it becomes better over time. And there's two ways that you can teach a computer. You can either give it information and say, for instance, if you want to teach it to recognize um, a daffodil, you can show it a lot of pictures of flowers with green stems and yellow flowers, and you can say, these are daffodils. So when it runs across a flower that has 
um, I don't know, uh, uh, a non-green stem and a purple flower, it will not identify that as a daffodil. Right. Um, and you can send it, you know, hundreds and thousands and millions of pictures, and it learns over time because you tell it when it guesses right or when it guesses wrong. And it begins to learn um, what flowers are daffodils and what flowers are non-daffodils. Um, and in, in doing that, you can then extend that to other processes. You can extend that, for instance, to being able to identify diabetic retinopathy um, in a patient who has um, uh, who has diabetes and has an image of their retina. And you can teach it to do administrative things as well as clinical things. So you can teach it how to um, fill out a claim for services that a physician or a health system provides. And it can do things um, in an automated way that doesn't necessarily require a human being or it's just really too mind-numbing um, and industrialized for a human being to really maximize their um, maximize their skill set. Right. I think in a lot of uh, cases when we talk about computers taking over jobs, you get the big argument of, you know, it's going to put us out of work. But I wanted to just kind of throw in my experiences in healthcare. Good. I mean, we should really be focused on the best care that we can deliver. And, you know, right. the best care at the most reasonable cost, and AI is going to help provide that without any question. And I think most people in healthcare feel the same way. They don't feel like this is an encroachment upon our livelihood. I mean, what have you run into those kinds of discussions? It's always everybody's first question is, are, are you taking human beings' jobs? Exactly. And, I mean, I think we just sort of have to call it out. The, the progress of technology is to give human beings tools to do things that historically they were not able to do. And in doing that, you hopefully free them up from more menial tasks so that they can use this wonderful brain that sits on all of our shoulders to do um, more in-depth tasks. And in healthcare, we call that working to the top of your license. Um, You know, why should a physician um, sit with a computer and do data entry? That's not what I went to medical school to do. And yet, when you hear a lot of our colleagues talk about what do they hate about the electronic medical record, it's right. the it's the mind-numbing task of entering information. Exactly. Well, technology exists mm-hmm. to help us do that. Sure. Does that mean I'm out of a job? No, it right. doesn't mean I'm out of a job. It just means right. I get to spend more time with my patients. Well, right. you know, that's a good point, Adam. Let me, uh, let me phrase this a little different. You know, artificial intelligence in healthcare, uh, in my world refers to complex algorithms designed to perform certain tasks by a machine. And what I mean by that, and Dr. Mark, when you were talking earlier, clinical decision support and information management for both the physician and the patient. So I I take the objective that it's probably not replacing jobs, but it's making us much more efficient and valuable in the decisions of outcomes for patients. Would you not agree with that? Yeah, Larry, I think that's right. And again, we, you know, if you could say AI, it means a lot of things, a lot of different things to different people. And you can apply AI to solve a lot of challenging problems. Mm-hmm. You know, Syllable takes the, the technology and AI and it goes to the problem of responding to scale, you know, the cost and complexity of delivering care, and quite frankly, the human bandwidth challenge, meaning the humans that need care that are calling into sites of care outnumber the number of humans inside the site of care that are receiving those calls. So right. we're applying our healthcare-based AI technology to 
intake those inbound calls and quickly delineate complex calls that will require interaction with a human versus non-complex calls, which could be, for an example, a canceled appointment, a rescheduled appointment, uh, a refill. Um, yeah, really clerical things. Specific apartment. Yeah. Yeah. So we, we quickly can route that using AI. Well, let's jump into that very specifically. Let's tell, yeah. talk just about Syllable yeah. and, and what your platforms achieve. Adam, I'm not going to steal your thunder. I know this is your baby. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Doug. So um, as, Doug, as Doug was elucidating, you know, we have created a platform that begins to automate a number of different use cases. Um, the first use case we started to automate was the, uh, was the call center use case. So we know that interacting with a health system call center is frustrating at best. Um, and the numbers on performance um, across the country are not particularly good. So only 40% of callers into a health system actually get their problem resolved on the first, on the first try. That means 60% of phone calls go unresolved. As you know, if you call, you're going to wait on hold for, you know, 10 to 15 minutes, particularly on a Monday, Tuesday, or Wednesday. And if you want to call and schedule an appointment, the chances that you're going to walk away on that first call with an appointment scheduled is, believe it or not, less than 5%. Wow. And there are a lot of reasons for that that mm-hmm. we can go into. But suffice it to say, if you as a patient want to get an appointment and you call on the telephone, the chances of you getting it on that first phone call is somewhere between 2 and 5%. Well, let me ask and you so a question. so one of the things that we... Yep. Go ahead. What is the what, it, what is the frustration line that between automated answering machines and people's frustration? Where does that cross the line? Um, you know, I think most of the frustration is in, is in, is not in dealing with a non-human being on the other end of the phone. I think it's dealing with a human being on the other end of the phone that doesn't really want to be there. Um, we know oh, in working yeah. with a number of our clients that in, um, in large call centers operated by health systems, there are really two populations of operators. There's those that are there for a lifetime, and they, you know, that is their career and their job, and they're the ones that we've all interacted with at hospitals that we've worked at and love. You get to know them, they get to know you, and they're always there. Second population are people that really don't like to work in the in the hospital call center, and they're not happy working there. Right, and they turn over about jobs. every every six months. Yep. Um, and so they're the ones who are picking up, you know, a phone call every thirty seconds and dealing with patients who are used to being treated poorly on the phone. And unfortunately, in in response to that, we have other people. Um, who are working in the call centers that return the favor of not being particularly helpful, not interested in being helpful, not interested in learning about the health system to better navigate patients through it, and consequently the experience. Um, you know, if you if you do a star rating of of five stars, you know the typical response of a of a caller is you know they they, they feel that the experience was one to two stars out of five. Right, right. No, I, I could. Absolutely. And I think uh, the listeners and all of us have had experience with other corporations that have have dabbled in this. And it's definitely the uh, the devil's in the details of how effective it is. And, and that level of frustration that Larry was referring to, mm-hmm. um, I think, you know, one of the benefits that we have in medicine is it's a very focused piece and we probably can uh, can avoid that. You know, we're, we've actually jumped through so much of our time. I want to invite you gentlemen to stay on for another segment, if that'd yeah. be okay, because I want to talk more specifically about 
your platforms, as well as if we do have a little bit at the end there about other things in medicine and AI that you see coming up. Will that be all right? We'd love it. Great. Thank you. Let me make a statement as we close out this segment. Uh, There was a research done, and, you know, you see AI articles all the time. 84% of executives that were surveyed said that they would not achieve their growth objectives without scaling AI in their business. I thought that was very interesting, Dr. Mark. Yep, We'll be right back. Be right back. Integrated Independent Physicians Network, preserving and protecting the independent practice of medicine since 2015. Join the movement with us, ipnetworkflorida.com. Mark Chayot, MD, practicing pediatric surgeon since 1997, working with Central Florida's premier hospital systems and outpatient surgery centers, providing unparalleled patient care and leveraging the latest in medical, technology, and education, accepting all major insurance. 407-228-4774 or visit OrlandoPediatricSurgery.com. Well, we've got your answer to navigating the healthcare world. Welcome to Healthcare Now. Welcome back to Healthcare Now. We're talking with Dr. Adam Silverman, Chief Medical Officer, and Bill Lovelace, Vice President of Syllable, an AI company. And uh, we've had a good discussion so far. So let's let's talk about your call center, Adam, and how you've impacted companies in regards to what Syllable does. Yeah, so I'll, I'll set the stage and then, then I'll let Bill talk about how we solve it. But currently across all of our customers, the experience um, of, a, of a patient calling a call center is suboptimal. They wait on hold for an average of 10 minutes. They get transferred up to three times in order to get to the correct destination. There are very few self-service options. So if you want to schedule an appointment and you want to do it um, independently in a self-serve fashion, if you want to refill your prescription, if you want to get a referral, if you want to get your medical records, there's almost no opportunity for self-service. And you contrast that with the other parts of our consumer lives. Um, that's really that's really stark. So one of the things that we have really focused on at Syllable is how do you put the patient in, in the forefront and provide them opportunities to self-serve? And Doug, and I don't know if you want, or Bill, I don't know if you want to talk a little bit about that and and sort of how we've successfully achieved that in the call center. Yeah. So again, you know, we kind of approach it as you know, as Adam pointed out, you know, the patient is a consumer. If you think about other industries and markets outside of healthcare, less than one percent use the telephone to achieve their you know desired intent. In healthcare, you know, ninety three percent of patients use the telephone still, even though there's other modalities out there. And, and it's interesting to see that critical mass of, of consumers and patients needing care. Um, so we hyper-focus our AI and technology on that critical mass and apply these technologies to answer on the first ring, quickly delineate the intent of the caller, and then rapidly route the caller to their desired location. So if you think about the tens of millions of dollars that are spent on digital front doors and patient check-in and portals and things of that nature, 
Now, we Bill, explain that term mask. digital front door to our listeners, sure. would you? Okay. Sure. So it, it's different uh, mechanisms that are designed to make the patient and provider connection more solid and, and more fluid, which the technologies are great. But again, the, the point we were sharing earlier with the critical mass of patients still using telephone to, to enter those other modalities, we apply our technology to grab patients and rapidly route them to those. So, for example, if, if there's an online scheduling option, we can rapidly route them to them automatically. If there's a patient refill, we can route them to the correct department. Um, there's different um, tasks that we can accomplish through automation that takes the lift and the weight off of the human bandwidth challenge that we talked about earlier. So the morning you turn syllable on, 50% of your inbound calls are automated. Right. And then we're able to use our technology to stratify those calls by intent. So you have 100% visibility to that critical mass of patients that need care uh, with data and logic behind yeah. it, as opposed to, well, I have an existing IVR that will route patients from department to department. Right. You know, so Adam had mentioned, Bill, that uh, the frustration level on the human side, and that is absolutely the case. And I'd like for you to talk about that for a minute. There's nothing worse than being on hold for 10 minutes, getting the person on the phone and say, I'm not the right person you need to talk to, right. and get transferred to somebody else. <laughs> yeah, and I think that's right. Adam, maybe you could speak to you know our process of recording calls and, and, and grading and, and routing and improving our technology and some of the feedback that we've received. Yeah, I think that... Um when, when you talk, the misnomer about artificial intelligence is that it, it's just sort of a, a, a thinking machine at the brain substitute. There's actually mathematics and, and computer science behind it. So the first thing that we do before we deploy our artificial intelligence is we have to, we have to make it intelligent. So it is just computer code. And if you don't provide it the right information, it really can't help. So the first thing that we do is we build the knowledge base about the organization, which includes the phone book. It includes departments, locations, um, doctors, um, uh, phone directories for um, administrative staff, phone directories for clinical staff. And so we have to build all of that from scratch because, as you both know, um, health systems we think of as monolithic, but in actuality, they're just a loose conglomeration of service lines and departments and um, other services, and everybody is using different technology within the organization. So we train the artificial intelligence to become sort of the best employee of that, um, of that system by making it the most intelligent. It's not that people working there aren't trying to do the right things. They're just not given the right tools. And since the artificial intelligence can, can actually crawl through websites and absorb data that's given to it in any form, then it becomes um, the, the most intelligent and the most knowable, um, knowledgeable um, technology that a health system has um, at its disposal. Yeah, and so I then once you, somebody calls the... in... Oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, I'll, I'll end it here by just saying once somebody calls in, then they're talking to um, an intelligence who has the best visibility into the organization and can speed that person to its destination or help them achieve some self-service um, transaction. So with uh, Healthcare Now, Larry and I try to always put ourselves in the shoes of our listeners. Right. And and what I'm hearing and sort of feeling, because we've all, we've all been on the other side of that, even though I'm, you and I are physicians, we've also been patients, we've had families have gone through this. And what we really want from our healthcare experience 
is to maximize that that face-to-face time with the provider. And I'm, what I'm hear, hearing as a provider is, you know, AI is the answer to me being able to increase that increase that face time because I'm not training folks. I'm not looking over people's shoulders, you know, because it's a business. I'm, you know, my in my office, yeah. I'm running a business. Yeah. And minimize your right. full, full uh, equivalent right. of employees. Too. Right. So I just wanted to yeah. bring that up from like from our side, because, I mean, you, you've designed these programs and you see the efficiencies and the numbers. And at the end of the day, the, the goal is to really achieve a greater amount of time for the provider patient relationship. Correct. And that's that's sort of the logical extension of the, the work of the work that we're doing on the administrative side. As we help health systems clean up their their the administrative side of the house, it then has a multiple uh, a multiplication effect on the clinical side by helping them with their administrative work to free them up to do the things that you just outlined, which is to ultimately spend more time with patients. So you mentioned portals. Uh, and I think you know we've been using that term in in the in healthcare for a few quite a few Long years time. now, yep. uh, many more years than would match the percentage of people who use portals. I think you know a couple of years ago, I think the the number was between two and five percent actually will actually register for the portal, and somewhat less will use it. How do you compare with the things that patient portals currently do, and and what your platform provides? Well, first and yeah. foremost, we don't call it a portal. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> nice. Go ahead, Bill. That's a win. Yeah. No, I, I was saying that, you know, the morning you turn syllable on or a client turns syllable on, you know, a lot of things happen. You know, as I mentioned earlier, 50% of the inbound telephony calls are automated. We see on average uh, a scheduling conversion rate of a uh, tick of up to 25%. And from a patient portal adoption, registration, we could also guide patients to to reset a password or to log in appropriately through automation, right? So the patient portal adoption rates, we're seeing an uptick in that as well. Mm-hmm. And again, that's what's fillable in the background. No one knows we're there, right? We're yeah, Bill, walk us through, you know, for our listeners, walk us through a typical call with syllable where you say 50% of those calls are automated. Can you do that? Does that make sense? Yes. Right. Adam, you want to check that? Sure. So there, there are a couple examples. The, the simplest example is the person that calls in um, and um, they're looking to change or make an appointment with a cardiologist. So they call into the hospital operator and um, the hospital operator says, how can I help you? And the patient, without knowing anything else, says, can you connect me with cardiology? So they get to the cardiology department and somebody answers the phone and says, uh, hi, welcome to the cardiology department. What can I do? And the caller says, I need to change my appointment with Dr. Silverman. And they're like, well, this is the administrative office. It's not the clinical office. Let me right. <laughs> so all of a sudden, you've got a patient who's got two transfers. And because they didn't know any better, they thought they were getting connected to Dr. Silverman's office. Right. Their first transfer was to the wrong place. So on day one, when, you, when the health system turns on syllable, very frequently, the first voice that they hear is syllable's voice that says, how may I help you? And instead of saying, um, you know, transfer me to cardiology, they could say transfer me to cardiology. And then the response from the artificial intelligence could be, what would you like to do at cardiology? And if the answer is I need to change or schedule an appointment, then the artificial intelligence says, well, what's, which doctor are you looking to schedule with? And then they say Dr. Silverman. And the artificial intelligence says, I'll connect you to Dr. Silverman's office. 
Right. So right there, much better satisfaction, yep. much greater accuracy, and a much greater attempt um, at the, on the health system side to um, actually translate that phone call into a revenue-generating event. Now, that was excellent. Now, yeah, that, that really ex- painted an extremely example. clear picture. Yeah. So what's what's next? I mean, what what's Syllable working on platform-wise, or if you want to step outside that even bigger and better in, in two minutes or less yeah. for AI and healthcare? Yeah, we only got a couple more minutes, but we certainly want to understand where your growth opportunities are. So we, we talk about our artificial intelligence as a patient assistant. And that patient assistant, like an individual, has certain traits associated with that. And we've talked about some of those traits. But the other thing that it has is it has skills. And transferring um, patients around the health system is one skill. Scheduling appointments is another skill. Refilling a prescription is yet another skill. And when you think about the overall patient journey, our goal is to get somebody from the moment they decide they need care through that point of getting care as quickly as possible. And then we can start to push out the four walls of the hospital and say, listen, you come in to see your doctor. Everybody walks away from a doctor's visit with three or four or five or six things that need to be done. Get a prescription, have a, uh, a lab test, get an x-ray, or get a referral. And there's, we know that there are a significant number of those things that we as physicians order patients that never get done. Well, the artificial intelligence can now begin to follow that patient. So once Dr. Mark orders a medication, a lab test, and an x-ray, as well as a referral, the artificial intelligence can follow along and make sure that the orders are fulfilled, and if not, continue to engage with the patient and help them along their journey. So the potholes that we see, the missed diagnoses, the missed uh, follow-up mammograms that somehow result in the diagnosis of cancer 12 months later that we all look back and say, oh, gee, they missed their follow-up mammogram, all of that can be prevented. And the artificial intelligence has that capability. We just need to continue to train it in new skills. Yeah. Dr. So Mark, I'm telling you, we, we need done. we need Adam to, in Florida to help us with our value based <laughs> yeah, program. I was just I, I was just on with American <laughs> Airlines and they cut me off. I was getting you tickets, but uh, Bill and Adam, that, th- this has been uh, this has been excellent. I mean, I think that AI is a super intense topic. I think yep. it can be intimidating to a lot of our listeners. And more than anything, what we've accomplished here is a picture of some things that that our our listeners are already used to, yep. uh, some successfully and some not so successfully. But I tell you, thank thank but you so much for being on. Next level. Yeah, you know. yeah, and I'm excited to uh, keep up with Syllable and see what you yeah. guys are up to and doing next. But uh, all in all, yep. what what a, what a great conversation, and thanks for being with us. Thanks so much, guys. Thank you. Thanks for having right. us. Talk to you soon. Thank you. We'll Bye-bye. be right back. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. The Integrated Independent Physicians Network, preserving and protecting the independent practice of medicine since 2015. Join the movement with us. IPNetworkFlorida.com. Mark Chayot, MD, practicing pediatric surgeon since 1997, working with Central Florida's premier hospital systems and outpatient surgery centers, providing unparalleled patient care and leveraging the latest in medical, technology, and education, accepting all major insurance. 407-228-4774 or visit orlandopediatricsurgery.com. 
The Integrated Independent Physicians Network, preserving and protecting the independent practice of medicine since 2015. Join the movement with us, ipnetworkflorida.com. Welcome to Healthcare Now. Welcome back to Healthcare Now. That was a great couple of segments on a, a really high level, but very interesting topic. You know, artificial intelligence. I think anytime we bring that up, all that comes to mind are robots and yep. sp- space flight and all things that are over our head. But the reality is, you know, we're using AI in almost yep. every industry. Everything. And as you mentioned, the CEOs of 85% of yeah. the companies, yeah. there, they were saying yeah. that if they don't have AI in part of their programs, yeah. they're not going to achieve their goals. Right. And also, the applications of artificial intelligence in healthcare are endless. Yep. Well, you know, yeah. this was this was like a, a a nice exposure to a way that every every to one of our listeners hole. has to pick up, <laughs> you know, pick up the phone and call, and it gets so frustrating when you do get to the wrong place. Yeah. And now, and I, and there, there's, there's a difference between the systems that syllab, syllabus was, uh, I'm sorry, syllable, syllable. was, it, that yep. syllable is mm-hmm. using and that, that many other companies are using. Cause some of yep. them are these automations where, you know, press one, two, three, and you, yep. you never get to where you're going. That's not really artificial intelligence. No, not at That's all. That's what I not consider an auto attendant. Yeah. Because the company doesn't want to talk to people. Right. Exactly. <laughs> and that, that can be tremendously frustrating, yeah. but. But in medicine, there are so many areas of growth that we're going to see coming up with AI. And I think of things, he brought up that daffodil reference, yeah. right? Yeah. So that's the same thing they use in radiology. So right. if we're looking at, say, mammograms, if they're showing the computer images of abnormal mammograms, it can scan through thousands of x-rays in a minute yeah. that, that it would now take a radiologist. clinical decision yeah, support. Right. And, and, yeah, then, I, and then it's going to yeah. feed it out. For a radiologist to look at on top. So it's not like we're leaving it in the hands of a robot, you know, but it's really exciting to see the the pieces and parts that are going to make medicine make sense. Talk about the clinical decision support as a physician. The whole idea of AI is to prove useful with clinical decision support to help doctors make better decisions, resulting in better outcomes for their patients. We we order. Yeah, we order tests every day. Okay. Um, whether it's laboratory tests, radiologic tests, you know, d- whether we have people fill out surveys, and it really depends on recognizing certain abnormalities or certain patterns mm-hmm. that kind of come along with all the pieces that you know. I mean, it's there are a lot of balls in the air. Mm-hmm. So with AI, we have some something that is organizing findings and coming up with ideas. Now it's going to be laughable at times when, you know. A, A plus C plus three equals this, you know, mm-hmm. th- that they're going to come up with these answers, but there's still the human effect at the end where we say, oh, either, yeah, you know, I hadn't considered that, or right. of course I considered that, and okay. yeah, that makes perfect sense. Yep. But it's going to decrease, quite frankly, it's going to decrease the error rate of, of us missing things. Right. You know, because the, the amount of data that can be looked at by AI yep. is incomparable to the amount of data the, an individual can do. And, and let me go there for a minute, you know, talking mm-hmm. about information management for both the physician and the patient. For instance, in our value-based programs, many companies come in and talk to us about, well, we can give you algorithms, and that's that math thing that Dr. Right. Adam was talking about earlier. And we can, in other words, if the lab picked up 
that you had an A1C done and it's over seven, right? Then you technically could be considered type two diabetic. Right now, AI says management of that patient. What else do you need to do? Right, and that's where we're talking about the information management coming into play. Is that correct? Absolutely, okay. absolutely. Yeah. And and we talk about uh, care gaps, right? We've talked right. about care gaps on right. on the air before. We do and, them every day. Yeah. So yep. care gaps are those things those that need to be done for a patient to complete right. that best case scenario of management Quality for their metrics. issues. And so this is going to lead us to closing more care gaps in a quicker fashion, and it's gonna it's gonna be better for patients all along, right? You know, that's pretty. Right. It's very exciting. It's very, very exciting. exciting. Uh, we right. may get another AI expert in here before it's all over. Well, I think that the reality is is we're all going to become a lot more comfortable with AI. Yeah. I don't want to say that we'll you or I are going to become experts, but it's going to be in many many levels of of healthcare, and we'll be talking about it on mm-hmm. healthcare now. You know, let me change the subject a little bit, Dr. Mark, Mm -hmm. Uh, when we talk about public health and prevention. This past week, the CDC announced a new entity within that organization called the Center for Forecasting and Outbreak Analytics. Mm -hmm. Right. Let me repeat that. Center for Forecasting and Outbreak Analytics, which will combine public health data, expert disease modelers, public health emergency responders, and high-quality communications to meet the needs of decision-makers. Isn't that exactly what we're talking about with AI? Well, I think <laughs> I think it is, but it's also yeah. more exactly what we're talking about as a response to COVID-19. Yeah, you exactly. Know, it, in years yeah. past, there have been organizations within the government that have looked at things like, you know, potential pandemics and whatnot, and, and it's sort of, you know, if it's not in the middle of your face there and, and looking right, right at right, you, right. you know, people aren't doing because they walked away from it. So this is a resurgence of a very, much more specific group that is, and you, we, we talked about this off air and you, you mentioned this is sort of like Homeland Security for exactly. healthcare. Yeah. Yeah. If the whole idea was to bring a program together in a center that accelerates the use of right. data to combat disease threats. Well, isn't that exactly what we did with Homeland Security after 9-11? Right. And I, <laughs> I think what we haven't done with this pandemic is we haven't really presented the public one place and one voice. Right. And, you know, whether we're talking about the CDC, the FDA, the White House, your governor, your mayor, uh, this has the potential of allowing people to go to one place to get vetted information yep. and and I would hope, you know, quite accurate and trustworthy information. Sure, so it's pretty sure. exciting. It's and gonna... I would think as a physician, that's very exciting to you. Oh, yeah. 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 Well, yeah. I mean, you know, we get questions about everything in healthcare about the best way to do things. And you know, I always tell the patients is that if if you can find for an operation, let's say for a problem, if you can find there's 12 operations for a particular problem, mm-hmm. well, then it means none of them work very well. Right. You know, so if we have right. an idea of what the statistics are and what better outcomes are related to what, you know, it's going to result yeah. in better care. Yeah. Great discussion. Yeah, I think that's going to be yeah. I think that's going to be really in- interesting. Yeah. Let me throw something else out here. CVS, as you know, bought Aetna right. and they announced that they will be uh, begin providing virtual primary care for their Aetna members through a new service called Aetna Virtual Primary Care. And Not a very serv- creative name, I'm going to tell yeah, you, Larry. I know. That's, that's, <laughs> yeah, so that's exactly what it is, Aetna Virtual. But, you know, next week we've got Ken Peach on the mm-hmm. on the interview yep. here to talk about home care, hospital care at home, and all these kind of things. And I thought this fit right in with what Aetna's trying to do. But, it is, yeah. You know. I mean, and we've talked about how, again, we keep, you know, we, we stud, 
off off air that that we've talked enough about the pandemic, but it just keeps slipping back in. Right. But the pandemic has changed the way that we're doing telemedicine. uh, And by change, it's really just increased it by, I don't know, 300 percent. Right. And so it's it's just going to continue to bigger and better and companies are trying to figure out the way they ways that they can yep. provide the care, save money, be more convenient and, and improve access to mm-hmm. care. You know, one of the things with this Aetna virtual primary care, they're working with the large telehealth company called Teladoc and they've incorporated Teladoc and in they brought their them program. In, yeah. They brought them in and uh, they're going to make it available. So it's going to be real interesting to see, uh, you know, a lot of primary care physicians would look at this and say, well, they're taking my patients away from me. What do you think about that, Dr. Mark? Well, I mean, I think there's a absolute sense of competition, just yeah. like with CVS and Walgreens doing their minute clinics, and they're, they're, they, yep. they're delving mm-hmm. into these clinical areas outside the product areas that we normally see them working in. Right. And, and the reality is, if they can do it better, mm-hmm. I'm not sure they can, if they right. can do it better, that is going to be a challenge to the independent physicians that are out there working but it's up to all of us to figure out how to use the the best of each world, and and because we have we have the same goal, we need to provide better health care for less money, right? right? And however and they're going to do, do it, it simply. Yep. yep. And and, yep. and I don't know. I've I ha- I've stopped. You know, the the sky is falling kind of thing. Every time I see something come out as competition, because so much of it comes out, and the best I can hope for is maybe that we learned a little something from it before they shut it down. Yep. Yeah. So we'll see. Yeah, we'll see. You know, we're going to have a great discussion next week about that. But let me throw something else. GoodRx right. and SureScripts, you, you're familiar with those Absolutely. two companies. They announced a partnership in which these two organizations are going to seek to provide doctors and clinicians with greater information about drug discount prices. Now, that hits to a hot button for us, Dr. Mark. It does. It does. Yeah. And and I, I, you know, I find it's a really mixed response when I talk to patients mm-hmm. about those two groups and what they've mm-hmm. seen. It kind of depends on what plans they've already got involved with. Mm-hmm. You know, if they're already with a commercial insurer that they might have some things that are just as competitive, but if they're not, mm-hmm. it offers you know, way off of retail prices. Right. So mm-hmm. it, it's going to be interesting because they do market to physicians. They do market to yep. clients. Yep. And so it, it'll be uh, it'll be a challenge to uh, keep up with all the information, but there's yeah. more price checking. Yeah, well, according to the information, it's the the benefit to the patient is it's going to be able to give not only insured but uninsured patients price information that they wouldn't normally get from their health plan or their pharmacy benefits manager. And we all know what drug prices are doing in this country. Sure, sure. Well, I would yeah. tell like tell our listeners like when you walk up to uh, pick up your prescription. And the pharmacist says, "Yo, this much, um, you know, you pull out a good RX card and they'll check that for you, oh, too. It's it's 70, 80 percent below what they'll tell you on the yeah. normal market. Yeah. Well, they'll even I match use it. good RX they'll, all the time. Yeah, they'll even match yeah. it to what your plan is, right. which may or may right. not. You know, right. you just have right. to check each time. This is a good program, Dr. Yeah. Mark. Yeah. I really think this yeah. is a good program. Yeah. yeah, I know we're getting short, but on Wednesday of last week, the VA announced uh, that it would not include Atahelm, the Alzheimer's drugs, in the treatment for Alzheimer's right. on the list of their improved drugs for the VA national formulary. Right, and they actually said that from the get-go, that they didn't yeah. see it being included. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it was going to be, A, cost prohibitive, and B, yeah. they, there's not enough clinical yeah. data. I mean, I think, I don't know, is anybody 
Is anybody implementing this drug yet? There have been a lot of people that said they're not. And, and I think when the VA says, you know, the reason is the risk of significant adverse drug effects and the lack of evidence of a positive impact on Alzheimer's patients is, a, is still right. in question. Right. I think that's why they said this $56,000 a year drug, we're just not going to go there. Right. And that's the same thing that yeah. Medicare, C- CMS said. So yeah, CMS, exactly. So exactly. we've got two very large mm-hmm. potential client bases that are not going to have access to this uh, monoclonal antibody. Yeah. And uh, I mean, I think yeah. the answer is going to be in in competition. If yeah. Other other companies are certainly racing well, to I do their own monoclonal. Two things are going to have to happen if Adahelm is in fact a true opportunity, as we talked about early on, the first breakthrough in twenty years. Right. And yeah. if in fact. That is the case. They've got to get it clinically correct, and they got to get the cost down. Yep, no question. No. Oh, well, that, that's certainly ways. certainly the answer they got after yeah. the FDA approved it, right? Right. So, right. So right. I don't know. I don't know where the company. I haven't seen any Biogen statements. Yeah. I haven't seen I haven't you know how they're yeah. going to come back and respond yeah. to this. Mm-hmm. But it is. It's a story that we're going to follow. And uh, I mean, I'm, I'm just hoping mm-hmm. we're going to get. Uh, the right medication in the hands of the right docs yeah. to give give to their patients. Well, another great afternoon with you, Dr. Mark. That was a good day. We uh, had a great discussion, and uh, we'll see you next week. Absolutely, Larry. Okay. Have a great week. Take care. Do you feel better now? We hope you do. Join us again next week for Healthcare Now. For a podcast of this program, go to theanswerorlando.com.